Can you, um, just out of, for my own personal curiosity, or can you talk more at all about the actual replatforming that you want to do? Or is that... Our application is mostly built on CFML. Oh, so you're uh, already done. on Lucy. What's that? You're yes. already done with the rewrite. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Welcome to Working Code. And now your hosts, none of whom have ever seen a failing unit test, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 143. And on today's show, we are going to once again attempt to discuss the topic of moving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> again, inspired by Carol's excused absence. Carol's not with us tonight because she is still working on moving from Georgia to it's it's Arizona right now, right? Correct. Uh, sort of Arizona. a yep. temporary basis. I don't know. Well, we'll get more inform- information from her later. But in the meantime, we're going to attempt to keep our triumphs and fails short, <laughs> shorter this week and get to the real topic at hand. We have some things we want to discuss, so let's just get straight into it. Ben, why don't we start with you? What's going on, man? I'm going to go with a failure, which is just full-body stress. I, As we discussed in previous episodes, I've been uh, moved from a full-time employee to a part-time employee, and that's still very much in limbo. I don't exactly know what that means yet, and it's just, it's taking a toll on me physically mm. and mentally. I've got big knots in my in my back and my traps and I feel all just uncomfortable and my wrists have been flaring up in their pain. I bought myself a, a, a mouse that has a trackball, so I don't have to move my hand back and forth. I can do just my thumb. Is that helpful? I, I don't know. I know I've a lot got, of people that are on the trackball life and they say that it helps with that. That's my hope. I'm on day three, I think. Okay. It's yeah. it, coordination wise. It was really hard to get going. But on day three, it feels much better than day one, just in terms of coordination, whether or not it's actually doing anything for my repetitive stress injury, that remains to be seen. But I do think that a lot of my wrist stuff is emotional because there was a day or two where I was actually feeling somewhat relaxed. I was sort of had let my mind just go with the flow and not really worry about work so much. And I swear my wrist felt way better. And then today... I was just feeling very stressed out at work and and feeling like I didn't know what I should be doing. And I was struggling to stay motivated and find stuff that I actually wanted to work on. And my wrist just really started to hurt again. So I'm, I'm, Mm. you know, like a hundred percent convinced that I've got a little mind body connection going on here. And when my brain hurts, my body hurts. Well, I mean, that's well-documented stress induced pain stuff. Yeah. So that's a bummer. Not loving it. Well, before we move on from the this section of the show, (laughs) sorry, here we go. You mentioned the the trackball trackball mouse. I at one point bought myself a vertical mouse, which you know is supposed to be helpful Mm -hmm. for you know wrist pain or whatever from moving a mouse around. And I was expecting something kind of dramatic, and it's like you know, oh, sorry, my I forgot my mouse is currently wired, not wireless. Here, let me unplug it. You know, you you go from you know, like flat and a vertical mouse, they're like, it tips up like 10, 15 degrees. And I'm like, this is, this is nothing. What the heck is the point? I think mine. So I also have a vertical mouse. Mine is wireless. So I can say, I think it's like a 60 degree slant. Mm. What's it, which one is that? Is that the this anchor? Is, this is Kensington. Okay. I bought the anchor off of Amazon and I was so just like nonplussed with it that I was like, no, returning this. No problem. No. Yeah. No I, I, I did get a couple that, that did not work out well. And then the, actually the, the trackball one that I have now is also a vertical mouse, but the track, so the trackball's on the side, mm. not on the top or anything like that. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. When we talked about the, the different like keyboard stuff last week, when you were talking about, you know, trying to do better ergonomics. I went into a small rabbit hole looking at that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I, I, so I was looking at the Kinesis website. They, they sell all kinds of those ergo specialty keyboards and mice and stuff. And they have a vertical mouse that looks like it's like almost straight up. And that really has me interested. I don't know. I don't I, know if I know, want to drop that kind of money on it though. Well, and I think the issue too is that the more vertical it goes, the, the more you have to kind of squeeze it from both mm. sides so that when you hit the button, you're not just tapping the mouse to the side. I think I'd be aware of that. It has to have something that you actually put your wrist on to sort of hold it in place. That was also one of the ones that I did try to get as a vertical mouse had this big kind of hand rest you were supposed to use. And it was, it was very uncomfortable, but you know, I'm, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying that it's, it's so trial and error that there's really, Mm -hmm. it, 
you know, what seems to be really working well for one person doesn't seem to work well at all for other people. Stupid human bodies. Yeah. Stupid human body. They're so dumb. Freaking shoulders. They're like, your arms are barely even attached to your body. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least when you get knots in your shoulders, you actually have muscles back there. And I have knots, just I have like little ping pong balls on a, on a, on a, on a cutting board. <laughs> yeah, like held down by a rubber band or whatever. I'm, yeah. I'm with you. I don't have like big muscles on my back. Yo, yeah. I'm, I'm, I need to get a massage. Y'all get massages ever? I did go to a massage therapy place and I asked specifically for a massage of like my upper back and then like oh, my okay. spine. Yeah, yeah and, yeah. and she like ignored me. She spent like half the time on like my legs and stuff. I'm like, Yo, come like, on. I mean, to be fair, you have really nice legs. Thanks. <laughs> no, I don't so, blame her. My wife got me a massage. This was, I think, back during Christmas or something. She got me a, a full body massage. And I'll tell you, having my legs massaged does nothing for me whatsoever. Yep. Like, I want people to just go at my traps and my shoulders and my back yep. for yep. like a brutal 45 minutes or something. I'm like, once I you get past like that, I'm done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> We, we sit down all day. <laughs> right, yeah. I've got these It's the tender. upper body with the, with the mouse <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the keyboard. That's where it hurts, baby. Right? This is where I keep my stress, all up my neck. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to figure out something, something where I can, to your point, tell them what to do and they'll actually do it. I, I almost would love it. It used to be, I mean, this is really dating myself, but it used to be when you would go to the mall, there would be people doing chair massages, you know, mm-hmm. the ones where you like, lean forward. I, I'm... That probably doesn't exist anymore, but they uh, do. I have them at airports. Oh, they have yeah. them at airports. Oh, I gotta I get a ticket. Well, hang on, Tim. You're not talking about the like electronic ones, right? You said no, no, an actual okay. person. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen them. All the ones that I've seen recently have been at drop zones, right? So like, there'll be a big boogie, and a masseuse will come out and oh, that's have cool. a couple of chairs and for people who get all. You just need to start, you know, jumping out airplanes, throw yeah. myself <laughs> at there, and I'll be fine. <laughs> All right, let's, All right, let's keep yeah. going. We gotta, All right, so, so we're, we're, Carol's not here. She would normally be next, as, as Adam mentioned. So I'm going to move on to Tim. Tim, what do you got going on? Well, I had a triumph, but I'm going to have to pivot. <laughs> pivot? Because, because breaking. breaking news, breaking <laughs> news. So I was, before our, our, you know, our call here to, to record, I was looking on our Discord. And so I, I, there's a, a new member, new patron. He goes by Spiffy Tech on our Discord. And I played... Yeah, Last weekend, I was playing Magic the Gathering online. I was like, anybody wants to play with me? And he's like, oh, I play. So we played like five or six rounds. And and that was pretty cool hanging. And I said, you know, what's your name? I don't want to keep calling you Spiffy Tech. And and I, I heard him say his name. I said, okay, cool. Thanks, Ryan. And I kept calling him Ryan. And now I get online and I realize he has Spiffy Tech slash Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Dropping the Whoopsie. subtle hint. <laughs> yeah. So while, while, while Ben's talking, I'm like, hey, dude, I am so sorry. You have to realize I have, you know, bad hearing. I really don't have very good hearing. And I kept calling you Ryan the entire time. He's, and uh, you didn't correct me. He's like, yeah, I, I was, you know, I was being polite. I don't want to correct you. It happens all the time. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm sorry. I, I hate being that oblivious old man who like mishears things. <laughs> But at least, I, at least I try not to get angry when I get corrected. I try my best, and they're like, "No, Dad, it's so and so." I'm like, "Oh, sorry." I realize this is family I've known for five years. They're, they're I kept calling them the the Fords, and their name's not the Fords; it's Fours, <laughs> like the number four. Oh my! For yeah, all these years. So anyway, I am so sorry, Brian <laughs> slash Spiffy Deck. Appreciate your you being a patron. But uh, so I'll go my 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 triumph. So so corporate mentoring. So that's sort of a thing. So we're part of a big multinational conglomerate, but they buy like smaller software companies and they let the companies just continue to kind of run themselves as small companies, but you sort of get the resources of bigger companies. Do they have an interest in buying like a prototyping wireframing app? (laughs) They might be interested in buying like a a college reunion and funding kind of thing. Yeah, they they would buy your they would buy your whole company. They don't buy like ideas; they buy companies. Yeah, but one of the things they encourage is number one, doing mentoring across the the organization. So last year I was in London. I get think it was around October, no, probably September in London, and it's you know it's, we huge hotel. The whole com- company we bought the hotel out, and there's people from Australia and all over. And, and I was talking to one person and she was 
we have this thing called initiatives. So initiative is where basically you have a new business idea inside your company that you can sell most likely to your existing customers. And you, you basically have to get at least two, we call them SIGs. So they're special interest groups. So they're existing customers who said, hey, we're willing to buy this if you do it. We'd like to be on board. And I've talked about this before in the past, but we'd like to be on board and help you build this product. And so I was talking to her about that because she was starting to do that. And I was just telling her the importance of pre-selling and making sure you get customers on board because they help you build the thing that actually people are going to buy rather than just building a thing that your developers think is cool. And so she reached out to me last week. She's like, hey, you know, I, have, I want to pick your brain about doing initiatives because, you know, I remember talking to you there and you, we were talking about it. And so I met with her today and unfortunately, I didn't really have a whole lot. I mean, she's telling me about her initiative and she's done everything pretty much textbook. You know, we suggest that you at least get two customers. She had five nice. pre-sold, you know, they already paid for it, even though they're not using it yet. And, and the only thing you know, that I did point out was like her, their initiative is really, they're building a, if they do a school administration in Australia. So she's in Australia. I just had the call with her before we, we had this because it's morning for her and night for me. So, you know, they manage a school, the school payroll, like parent teacher things that, and they're just building a mobile app. So the parents could have insight into what is going on at the school and teachers can communicate with parents and, and things like that. So really, it's kind of a mobile interface to their existing product. Really, an initiative should be a, a business that could you could sell, uh, split out completely and would not be. So, but I mean, there is maybe some thing for that. But it, I say all that to say this. I, I just think it's really cool to be able to have, it's kind of like this built-in uh, CEO network that mm. whatever, you just need some mentoring. You just have that there. And particularly, and that's why they have these annual meetings with everyone just so you can get together find stuff out and then just remember that person and could reach out to them because you know i get sold on ceo networks all the time i got one recently where they're they want me to pay like six hundred dollars so that i can hear a remote online speech from you know some random ceo but it's like that's really that's cool i can say oh i saw this cool talk by elon musk or whatever but it doesn't really help me having someone who's sort of in the same organizational structure and like, and she had questions about, you know, how do I move up to where you are and things like that? And I'm like, <laughs> number one, ask yourself if you even want to get there in the first place, because this job is not necessarily what you think it is. <laughs> so ask that question. But yeah, just to have that sort of mentoring thing and it, it's kind of casual. It's not, it's not forced on you, but to have it there is, is pretty cool. So. Mm. You know, as you were saying that, it reminded me of a service that I had come across, I mean, probably like 10 years ago, maybe not quite that much. I have no idea what it was called, but it was almost like a paid social network for consulting hours. Like you would, you would have, there's a, there was a big directory and you would say, Hey, I want to talk to a lead software engineer that has expertise in JavaScript and Node.js, and I want to book an hour of their time to have a conversation. Was it Code Mentor? I, I have no idea. I and think you, I I was on that. Yeah, and you could you could get CTOs and and you know get some. It's like they weren't doing work for you; they were just having conversations with you, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I did, it suddenly made me want to look that up again because I was I did it once or twice because I was looking for some help with some JavaScript stuff and more just from a philosophical standpoint, almost more than a technical standpoint. But I remember it being kind of a cool idea. Yeah. Yeah. Mentoring is pretty, pretty dope. Yeah, they do. I mean, they do push that in our organization. They have like seminars when we go to these offsite, you know, meetings about you know, how to, how to mentor people. And so, yeah, so it's pretty cool. And, and I just really appreciate her reaching because she's pretty young. I mean, compared to me, most people are, but in her, in her probably late 20s. But uh, yeah, because, you know, she's got a plan and she's and she's killing it. So I'm like, yeah, just, hey, I gave her a little bit of advice, but like, you just keep keep doing it. You're sounds like you're on the right track. So that's awesome. That's cool to see. What's well, me? How about you, Adam? Well, everything's coming up Millhouse over here. Sorry, boys. <laughs> I got a triumph on triumph on triumph on triumph this week. It's just been a great week for me. So we've talked about the compliance uh, ad nauseum. I'll just say that 
compliance wise, we are so, 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 so close to being done. Right. So it's kind of broken up into two phases. There's the readiness phase where like you have to go through and you just complete the whole checklist to go, okay, if we started a review right now, then we'd be in good shape and we could complete the review in compliance. And, And we are just about at the end of that readiness phase. And then once that's done, we'll start our compliance audit review period and they'll monitor our, our stuff for a couple of months and we'll that'll be the the review for our SOC 2 and nice. hopefully at the end of that we get the paperwork that comes out of that you know like first of the year or something around there that says okay alumni queue is SOC 2 compliant that's the goal and we have like four things left on the checklist to get done before we are done and the goal is to have that done by October 1st so to be ready to start on October 1st is the goal Dang, and so one more month yeah but like you know Getting those four things done it shouldn't, it really shouldn't. If if I could whip people and make them do the things that I want them to do instead of things that are urgent, then <laughs> <laughs> then we'd be done, you know, maybe by the end of next week at the absolute latest. Wow. But I can't do that. So we're getting there and it's, and it's going to be awesome. I'm getting excited by being this close to being done with it. Anyway, setting that aside, the, the thing I'm most excited for right now is we're recording this on a Tuesday, the Tuesday before Labor Day weekend. I am flying on Thursday down to Florida. And when I say flying, not me as pilot in command, but uh, myself and a friend of mine will be the only two people in the airplane, a small aircraft, and we're flying down to Florida. Well, well, hopefully you're flying. There's that hurricane coming through. It should be pretty much passed by then. Yeah, it should be. I mean, by Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, we're, we're flying down to Florida and I'll be taking the tandem instructor rating course to become a tandem instructor for skydiving. exciting. So yeah, that's, I'm super excited about that. Finally got all my ducks in a row, completed all the tests that I had to take to prepare for that, all the reading, which was ridiculous. So very excited for that. And just, this will be my first like cross-country small aircraft flight. You know, I've done uh, probably many dozens of hours of small aircraft flight for the purpose of jumping, but not cross-country. The, cool. the, the question I have immediately is how close is your parachute going to be to you in this small aircraft? Far enough away that if we, if I needed it, it would be easier for us to just land. Like it'll be in the plane and I could probably reach back and grab it and try to throw it on. But by the time I got it on, we would be, you know, it would be pretty much landed. All right. And I'm not going to wear it the whole way down. There's like a six hour, six hours of flying and that doesn't count, you know, stops for fuel and bathroom breaks and stuff. So. Very cool. Yeah. And then. So I'll wave to you as you fly over. (laughs) I'll I'll be in Atlanta. I'll be like, I'll I'll send you a picture of your house from. Thanks. A few thousand feet up. The, then the other thing that I wanted to list here is I started a semi-official mentoring relationship with a friend who <clears throat> I'll say is also a friend of the show and we all know, and he's kind of a big guy, big muckety muck type of guy. <laughs> cool. And I'll tell you guys later who it is, but he's really, he's mentoring me, you know, in like an engineering management, product owner, product manager type of perspective, I guess is the best way to think about it. Right. Like I'm, I'm kind of trapped at this crossroads where like I'm doing all of these things very heavily and I need to, in order to continue to push my career forward, I have to like maybe pick a path and push harder mm. down that one way. Because right now I'm just like being pulled equally in all of these directions. And mm. not that I dislike it, but it's not a very productive place to be in terms of like pushing my career forward. Yeah. So that's kind of serendipitous that we both talk about mentoring. Yeah. I think it's something that people, one thing. So at the end of the call with, with Annie that I had, I was like, you know, I really appreciate your level of humility and modesty to be able to ask, you know, for some help and some, some insight mm-hmm. on that. That's so many people just try to fake it till they make it. When, I mean, when you can just ask someone who's in a similar situation, you know, and just to say, you know, what is your experience in this? And just get some feedback. You can do what you want with it. You're not admitting failure. You're just admitting you don't know what you don't know. And that's, mm-hmm. I think that's pretty cool that, I think that's cool that you're doing that as well, that, you know, just to just get that extra. And, you know, it, it's to be the person to ask, honestly, you think, well, I don't want to bother them. They're too busy. It's, it's an honor, honestly. You, right. You're like, wow, okay, someone's, someone has acknowledged that I have something, a viewpoint or some experience to, to give them. And so when you, you're asked to be a mentor, it's not like you're being asked to just do work for you. It's just, I just need advice. I just need help. And, 
I think so many people don't do that. And I mean, honestly, and particularly men, it's like we're, we're culturally programmed to not ask for help. Yeah. And, and honestly, mentoring is not asking for help. It's just asking for, hey, can I bounce stuff off you? Yeah. So I, I think that's really cool. somebody that, that I can have a conversation with. Yeah. It's, and it's not transactional. It's like the mentor and the mentee. I mean, the mentee is probably getting a little bit more than the mentor itself, but it's not transactional. It's like, you do this for me and I'll do this for you. It's like, I just need to bounce this off you. Can I do that? I'm like, yeah. I don't think I've ever asked someone for mentorship advice and gotten a, not too busy or I don't like you or sometimes I just never got a response. Just because you haven't asked me, Tim. <laughs> you haven't asked me either. <laughs> Actually, you did. Never mind. Did I? PCI stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, there was that. That was yeah. a little different. Yeah, was that was like that, need, was, that, was, that, was, that was that was transactional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, that that's cool. That's awesome to hear. Cool. All right. Well, let's stop dilly dallying and get into the show, right? So, once again, in honor. Of, wait, wait. Hold on. Hold on. Let's be what? fair. Okay. Triumphs and fails is a vital part of the show. Oh, I absolutely agree. You just we certainly let it get out of hand and take over the entire show last week. So I'm trying to uh, we, we keep did, things we moving. Did, we did. All right. We'll do better. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, we're going to try to discuss this topic of moving in honor of Carol not being able to make it because she's moving, right? And just the, the the idea of moving gave us a whole lot of different ideas of things we could discuss. So I guess, man, where anybody have a, any particular angle on moving that you want to start with? Well, I think you just use an ORM for everything and then moving on is like a piece of cake. (laughs) (laughs) That's what Uncle Bob says, right? (laughs) I mean, there's so many different types of moving on, whether it's personal relationships, work stuff, technical stuff, career stuff. I mean, you're talking just now about moving on, focusing more on management versus the technology aspects. I think we just got to pick a pick an ingress here and right, go well, for it. I mean, since this has been very topical lately, if you don't mind, can we start with you and you're moving on from Envision? I actually do have a question for you too. Maybe that's a good place to start. Let's do it. Um, okay. So you mentioned earlier that you have, I guess, semi-officially been moved from a full-time employee to a part-time employee. Yes. And that- I, I wanted to make sure you're not being exploited because... As a full-time employee, you're paid a salary and you get benefits, right? Medical, 401k, et cetera. As a part-time employee, I don't know what the laws are, especially in New York. I know it could be different there versus where I am in Pennsylvania and stuff. But as a part-time employee, you are not necessarily entitled to those same benefits, right? You get the pay, but you may not qualify for 401k insurance, right, et cetera. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's a little unclear as to what is actually going on at this moment. I think... I am still technically a full-time employee until I actually sign a contract or receive, you know, my walking papers telling me that I'm no longer a full-time employee. Made redundant. Yes, exactly. And I have received neither of those things. So I'm sort of operating under the guise of full-time employment as far as I know. And, you know, my next paycheck better reflect that as well. Do <laughs> <laughs> you get paid twice a month or yeah, once a month? Yeah, I think or? on the 1st and the 15th. So we did have a bunch of people who were technically included in the RIF, the reduction in force, but are being kept on until September 1st as a sort of transitional period. So I think what's happening, or at least what I hope what's happening, is that all of the people who are ending, ending, ending on the first are like all of their I's are being dotted and T's are being crossed and, and the Lower HR people teams. are doing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh, I'm actually going to reach out to my CTO tomorrow probably and be like, hey, I'm under a lot of stress. I, like, I just feel very stuck. Right. And I need to know. know. Yeah, exactly. I just need to know what the world looks like going forward so that I can come up with a plan. Because right now, I feel like I I can't move on and it's, it's very, it's, it's exhausting. Honestly, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's really, I'm struggling. Uh, you know, I'm staying positive, but I'm struggling for sure. Yeah, I get it. And yeah, I mean, I think this is a really good topic or a really good thing for us to, to discuss for anybody who might be going through something similar. Like mm-hmm. 
you it can be very difficult, but you have to advocate for yourself. Like you have to go, you just just you have to do what you just said you were going to do and go talk to your boss and say, I just like I get, I have no control over this situation, but I need to know what the situation is. Right. 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 If, yeah. If, I, uh, I need to I need to channel my Carol. Carol's really good at that stuff. Yeah, she, she is. is. But it's interesting. So I had this moment the other day. This is on topic, but ever so slowly off topic. So I, I like to let my brain marinate and wander and I'll be walking the dog and I'm often jumping from topic to topic. You know, I'm walking the dog, I'm listening to a podcast. I'm also thinking about stuff that's happening in my life and at work. And, you know, this is where we make those fun synergistic uh, connections. You know, you're in the shower, mm-hmm. you're walking the dog, you're in the wood shop. And suddenly you, you realize Oh, what was going wrong with the database or, you know, where the deadlocks are coming from or some product idea. So the other weekend I was up in Vermont and uh, we were at this hotel, this Marriott. And for whatever reason, the Marriott was just packed and uh, the elevator was taken forever to go from floor to floor. It's like a clown car on every floor, people getting on and off. So I'm in the lobby and I, and I call the elevator and I'm sitting there and I'm, I got some time to kill. I know I've got a few minutes to kill before the elevator actually gets to the lobby. And I start thinking about work and I got like a minute or two into it. And I'm like, what the heck am I doing? Like, why am I spending cycles thinking about how to improve features for a product that more or less no longer belongs to me? Mm -hmm. And it was a really weird moment. I didn't know. I didn't know what to do with my spare cycles. You know, like I have all of this mental capacity that I just need to direct at something. Mm. And I'm like, now I have a bunch of things that, that might be worth thinking about, whether it's family stuff, whether it's side projects like my Dig Deep Fitness stuff, whether it's blogging stuff or work stuff. And, I, and for the first time in a really, really long time, it felt like it didn't make any sense to spend time thinking about work. And that was a really weird moment. Do you mm. feel like as a habit for over the last 10 years or whatever, you've gotten into the habit of thinking about work in your free time. So like kind of, kind of working all day long, all week long. Well, so I I do think so. I mean, I, I don't, to say you get into a habit, I think it's, I think that's just how creative people are. And I hope I'm not painting with too broad a brushstroke here, but you know, we've talked I, about I think you're right. hammock yeah. driven development and that kind yeah. of the, the idea of you got to let your subconscious do a lot of the work sometimes. Well, for me, when I hear that, I think of serendipity, right? Like you're reading a book in a hammock that, that is in placing your focus in something non-work related, whether it's working out or working on some creative, you're painting or you're woodworking or you're reading a book or whatever. But what I'm asking is, do you have a habit of like putting your focus on work stuff outside of work hours? I, I guess, I guess what I would say is yes, but also that I almost approach it like improv where you're yes anding. you know, if I'm, if I'm walking the dog and I just get a random thought about a feature okay. or I'm listening to a podcast and someone mentions something and suddenly there's a little bit of a crossover connection, I'm like, yes, and where can I go with that? And then I try to go down that rabbit hole a little bit mentally to see what other types of connections I can make. And I I guess I am on some level choosing to do that, but it also just feels very natural from a problem solving perspective. I, I think that maybe something that gets left out of the discussion when people talk about like, you know, oh, I just work at a company for two, three, maybe four years, and then I move on. That's fine. But what that doesn't give you the opportunity is to like have a thing that kind of becomes your life's work, mm-hmm. right? So like I've been working at the same company for 10 years. You've been working at the same company for 10 years. We, both of us much longer than that, actually. But and, and so like maybe when we first started, it was like, yeah, sure, I'll do this job. And it's a job and you go in and you do it. And then like a few years into it, five, six, seven years into it, you're like, I know this topic, right? Mm-hmm. This is it, and I know the wrinkles on the back of the hand of this product. Right, like every little in and out, the 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 minutia of what could go wrong or why, and it becomes different. It becomes a, a relationship that you have with the code and the product, and you can continue to build on that for a long, long time until. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it's different it, when you're not in control of that. So as I've been reflecting on this the last couple of days, 
I've started to think about and maybe question the whole idea of when, when we think about people who come to work and then go home, there's sort of two buckets that we generally create as a community. There's the people who are very passionate about it and mm-hmm. this is their work, but it's also oftentimes their hobby and things they want to research. And then we say, oh, then there's this other bucket, these nine to fivers, they come, they get their work done and then they go home and they leave work at work. Mm-hmm. And I'm beginning to wonder how much that that second bucket is actually possible. Like, how can you do anything and really leave it at the office? I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to like. If I want to pick a, a thing that somehow feels very easy to pick on is like a line cook, and I'm not picking on line cooks, but like I can imagine sure. thinking, oh, a line cook is cooking at work, and then they're at home, and that's it; they don't have to think about it anymore. But I have to imagine even. Line cooks are like, oh man, I really overcooked that steak today. Like what went wrong? How can I, how can I do better tomorrow? And they're letting their, their brain think about that. I, I just, I mean, or, or they're cooking on the weekend and like, oh no, this is absolutely not the way to do this. I right. Do, exactly. You know, I just, yeah, I experimenting. Yeah. I just can't imagine that there are really that many people who, who can leave their work at work and I should say like, and not completely hate what they do. Hmm. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I feel like early on in my career, I was very much like a, a, you know, wake up, think about code, eat breakfast, work on code, eat lunch, work on code, eat dinner, work on code, go to bed type of person. And in more recent years, as I have developed other personal interests outside of code, like I played a crap load of video games when I was younger, when I was in college and, and before that and a little bit after. and my kids are now of the age where they spend a lot of time playing video games and my oldest is constantly telling me about what he's doing in video games and he gets kind of depressed when I'm like, I don't have an interest in playing video <laughs> games anymore. Like, yeah, it's cool and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy for you and I'm, you know, I'll come and check out the graphics on the new PS5 thing mm-hmm. and yeah, that's all great. But like, I'm, I'm not going to sit here for eight hours and watch you play a video game. That's just not my thing. And he gets kind of depressed about that and I get it. For me, you know, like as I've gotten into woodworking and skydiving and other things that interest me and and take a considerable amount of time, I've gotten better and better at punching the clock and setting it aside. And I do still very often have that like crossover serendipitous flash of insight like you're talking about. But what I've gotten good at is like give myself five, 10 minutes to think about that kind of create a a kernel of something to come back to and then try to take a decent note of what I was thinking about in my to-do list for work. And then Mm -hmm. I'll come back to it during the week and then I can go back to whatever I was working on. I I mean, I I think the phenomenon we're kind of talking about here is human beings are at their core problem-solving creatures, Mm -hmm. right? So we, we, we all solve problems, whatever, whatever it is, coding, line cooks, whatever it is, there's a problem try to solve it. I'm not going to quote vanilla ice, but <laughs> as the more and more you do, you're in the same ecosphere, right? So you're at the same job for what, the first year. Everything you're solving is a problem. Everything, mm-hmm. because you're not familiar with it. You don't know it. You're trying to solve everything. And so it's constant, 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 constant. But now it's like, okay, I'm 23 years in to the same company. Mm-hmm. And you know the software that I've been dealing with has been I've been you know I have helped craft it and build it personally for the past ten years. So initially there was a whole lot of problem solving, and now it's to the point where there's problems to solve. But because of my experience and knowledge and just time being there, mm-hmm. it's not as urgent to solve immediately because I know. Yeah, I don't really know the answer to this problem right now, but I'm pretty confident that, you know, within 10 minutes of looking at it, I can solve it. And that tends to be the case. So, yeah, so when you, we talk about that, Ben, it's like, I think, and, and, but that doesn't mean that I don't think about it, you know, when I'm in the well, shower or if I'm driving, those things come up, but it's, 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 it's not a huge driving force. So can I, can I maybe push the conversation in a slightly different direction here. Now we're talking about moving and if this is not a sore subject, if it, if it, you know, whatever you tell us, if it's fair game, Ben, the, there was an article that we talked about. It was either last week or the week before where 
somebody had some criticisms of Envision and it may, it gave me thoughts, right? So <laughs> I'm currently in the middle of trying to figure out how we are going to evolve our application to a totally different tech stack. And like, what does that mean? What do we have to do to the current application to make that possible? And then what do we have to do to uh, architecture in general to have them sort of, you know, like what what is the path forward? And Or what is not path forward? <laughs> sure. What is the thing not to do? <laughs> well, okay. So I think the, the classic answer to that question, Tim, is like, let's just rewrite the whole thing in one big bang and, right. and go and... and Again, I, I have zero inside knowledge, so... That's just, what we you know, did. It was awful. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, like, speaking from my perspective here on the outside, it sounds like that's what Envision did. Like, there's, yes. here's a new version of the thing. Try to move people over. You have the struggle of the migrations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah. So, let me, let me give you an example from over 10 years of experience on this. And Ben can jump in on this probably, too. So, like I was talking about earlier, the company that bought us out, all they do is they buy software companies, right? Mm-hmm. So they have since I think when they start, I think they started in 1998, so pre-tech bubble burst. But anyway, all they do is they buy very vertical software, software that's kind of very sticky, hard to get away from. And when they bought us in 2013, one of the things that their mantras was about, you know, doing a rewrite because typically they're buying companies that are kind of you know, having a little struggle. And, and so they're at it. They just, you know, replatformed or something and now they're selling. Their mantra was do not rewrite ever. <clears throat> do not do a full, full platform rewrite ever because they had years of experience of finding out that it just doesn't work the way you think it can. Everyone always promised all the, all the tech heads say, oh yeah, we'll do this. It'll be easier. It'll be so much better. They sell you on all the upsides but they're completely oblivious to all the pitfalls of it. Sure. And the pitfalls almost always win. Mm -hmm. So when you say like never rewrite, is that to be taken at face value? Like once code is working, just leave it alone and let it run in production forever? Or are you saying don't rewrite in one big bang? Right, right. So rewrite replatforms. A lot of times it's like, oh, we're on an old, I mean, some of these companies they were buying in the late 90s were on COBOL or whatever. And, And it's like, we just need to do a complete Let's just greenfield the whole thing and mm. just write it from the beginning because we know so much more now, right? We learn from experience. Yep. We're going to write it in X language. Doesn't matter what the language is, mm. whatever the cool new hotness is, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and it never works. So, what they do say to do is, I mean, it's basically strangler pattern, mm-hmm. right? You, you you eat the elephant one piece at a time, and so you you break those up into and you know whatever. Put them into different services, whatever, but just a complete replatform rewrite just for the sake of doing it. One, it doesn't ever come on time because you always have the competing concern of working with your existing tech stack, mm-hmm. right? Which you always continually have to support because yep. that's where you're getting your money from. You're getting zero money from this complete green field that you built. What you do is you take that existing tech stack that you're working on, you take a piece of it and say, all right, we're going to take this little bit here and we're going to write it in the new thing and write it in the new ways and do it right and have, you know, unit tests and all that other cool stuff. And our existing elephant's going to continue to use that. Mm-hmm. And, then event- and then you move to the next part. And eventually that elephant is now, you know, five or six different modules. Oh, interesting. So I, that are ha, have been rewritten and are now in the new tech stack, and you 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 do it so that there is a because the worst part is is the painful upgrade for your customers to say, hey, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time helping you on the old tech stack because that's the old busted and we're working on the new hotness, but it's not going to be ready for a few years. <laughs> so you're just going to have to suffer with really bad servers for the next few years. And those next few years yeah. turn into almost a decade, and then the, the new hotness actually isn't that great. Yeah, especially because it takes you five years longer than you thought to to write it. Exactly. And so then, yeah. Well, and there's one of the issues that we continue to run into and probably even run into to this day is that the old system doesn't just sit there and not change. That the mm-hmm. old system right. continues to receive bug fixes and feature yep. improvements. And then the team has to decide, are we going to port those changes over to the new platform? Well, the people building the new platform are already so far behind schedule. We can't really have them worry about 
a growing parity gap issues. We have to just get them to get back to the baseline. But by the time they get to the baseline, the baseline's actually no longer relevant because the old system has already continued to evolve over the last mm-hmm. however many years it took you to right. rewrite. Yep, oh, yep, 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 yep. I, so, you know, it, it's frustrating because I know the way not to do it <laughs> yeah. at this point, but I don't necessarily... I don't necessarily know how you should do it if there are parts that you really do need to rewrite. Yeah. As an example, the legacy platform at work is on AngularJS. AngularJS is end of life, like entirely end of life. There's no new versions. There's no security fixes coming out for AngularJS for like the last three years. So, you know, I mean, talk about SOC compliance. Can I, probably, I just want to distinguish yeah, yeah. real quick? When you say AngularJS, that's like Angular 1, right? There's, yes, 1.x. Okay. Right. Exactly. Like you probably can't get SOC compliance for an application that's using a framework that's no longer being updated. You can. You just have to say, we, we're choosing mm-hmm. not to upgrade this and we accept the risk. <laughs> you, you, you couldn't get PCI compliance. I promise you that. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you wanted to continue to evolve this application in a way that was really future facing, you'd have to do something. You'd have to do something drastic. And I don't know what that would look like. Yeah. So, I mean, Tim mentioned the strangler pattern. Which I, I've done a little research on this. You know, I'm trying to put myself in a position to kind of shepherd our movement from our old platform to whatever ends up being our new platform. And I've so you're read moving. Up, you're moving. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, I've read up on the Strangler pattern, including like where it got its name. You guys, I don't know, you, you may or may not know this. It gets it from the Strangler fig tree, mm-hmm. which is, it, it doesn't actually, you can't just plant a Strangler fig tree and it kind of grows up like a tree and, and exists. It has to like be a parasite on some other tree. It, like, you know, it gets planted next to that tree and then it grows up around and just sort of like takes over that tree, kind of swallows it a little bit at a time. For for what it's worth, people should do a Google image search for this because those trees actually look really cool. Yeah, it's neat. They do. And it also made me think of the ship of Theseus, right? So when when Tim, when you were talking about like, you know, you replace this part and that part and this part and that part, eventually you've got the whole thing moved, right? But it's a, it's still kind of the same product, right? It, in an ideal move, maybe, you know, you've, your product is super stable and, you know, no no bug fixes or, or feature changes over the last couple of years, you could do that full, like, true ship of Theseus. It looks exactly like the old ship. But, uh, you know, we know in the world of software, there's no such thing as stable, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's constantly evolving. I wanted to n- ask you guys, you know, if, if Big Bang wholesale all at once rewrite is on one end of the spectrum and Strangler Pattern is on the other, and we can get into a little bit of what Strangler Pattern is in a minute, but if those are the two ends of the spectrum, are you aware of anything else between them? So the, the thing that I've heard, and I have zero experience with this, so forgive me if I'm not describing it well, but in the last couple of years, people have started to talk about islands architecture. Yeah, where you have a bunch of quasi-independent applications running together on the same web page as these like individual islands, mm-hmm. and I and I think that's part of how people have been evolving these applications. They'll have mm. an island that's Angular one X and an island that's modern Angular, and then or you know oh. something something to that effect. I to to me it sounds like an absolute nightmare. Yeah, but this does seem to be something that people talk about. It's interesting. I've never thought about the islands architecture stuff in the context of replatforming, but that's I could see well, how for it, the right type of application or the right you know screens, it could be useful. That way. I mean, you have your Svelte modal window. Yep, and that and that was kind of a an island. It, it is. Situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I talked about it in the context of islands. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, how do you get from one modal to an entire application being And, and honestly, th- exactly what you're talking about, you know, building the modal itself was fun and rewarding and, you know, it worked great. But the, the interface between, okay, I've got this felt application that runs in memory, and then how do I plug that back into my application that's over here and it expects these data points in this organization? How do I get those two to play nice on the front end so that, like, when the page gets submitted... The exact same right. data is coming back to the back end. And all I did was like fix the UI that was generating that data. So that was an interesting challenge for sure. Can you um, just out of for my own personal curiosity, or can you talk more at all about the actual replatforming that you want to do? Or is that sure? Is that yeah. Private? I mean, our application is mostly built in when I say mostly, I'm, ter- I'm speaking in terms of like lines of code. 
mostly built on CFML. Oh, uh, so you're already done. On Lucy. What's that? You're yes. already done with the rewrite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's how you know Ben is still dreaming. Um, and I don't have any hate in my heart for Cold Fusion or CFML, but I don't think it has a future long term. You know, the, the developer pool is dwindling. The product upgrades are bleh, whatever. I don't even really want to get into that, right? Like, it's right, just right, right. Uh, our, as a company, our outlook on CFML is trending down and the, the trend line is somewhat steep. And so for us, that's a sign that we need to get off of this train. So your, um, your replatforming is primarily a back-end migration, not so much a front-end migration. Yes. Like, w- one of the benefits that we see available to us via replatforming is that we can shorten dev life cycles or or dev cycles or whatever they call it, right? So like if you can spend less time developing something, get it out in front of users and and test it faster, then you can iterate faster, you can be more nimble, you can try things and throw them away or try things and when they succeed, you know, expand on them. And for a variety of reasons, we feel like that it's harder on CFML than it should be. And we get a whole lot for free in terms of that speed, the ability to move quickly by moving to a more modern language, right? Like just, again, I don't want to get into it in all yeah, the details yeah, yeah, yeah. there. But so, so but are you yeah. moving to like a, a node or a Dino or? So yeah, that's the, that's the thought is something in that realm. And, and it's not fully nailed down yet because there's some unanswered questions, right? So Sort of the general thought right now is Svelte probably on Node, possibly on Dino. And when I say Svelte, I guess what I really meant was Svelte Kit. And, right. and that is for the monolith, right? So we, we, in addition to our monolith, which is the monolith right now is Cold Fusion. And then everything that's not the monolith is not Cold Fusion, right? We've got a ton of Node lambdas. We've got a couple of Python lambdas that is, you know, mostly copy off of the internet and modify to do a, a little thing that we wanted or something. And, you know, a couple little things here and there, like containers running JavaScript stuff via Node. That's, that's kind of our MO for our more modern things that we've broken off of the monolith is Node one way or another. You know, so early, early on at work, when we decided to move ahead with the modern replatforming stuff, one of the guys on my team, this guy, Sean Grigson, had this idea that you stand up a service in the target language like Golang or Node, and you create a router that's literally like a star, you know, like any path coming into this router, turn around and just make the same request back to the old monolith, the old Cold Fusion monolith. And then what you could start, so basically create just a pure proxy, like a blind Mm pass-through so that you could essentially recreate, I'm air quoting here, recreate the entire API, but on the new platform. Mm-hmm. And then slowly just replace routes and say, well, this route no longer goes to the Cold Fusion app. I'm actually having an explicit route handler for this method and this resource, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna and I'm gonna do something new and fancy with it. We we didn't do that, but it it was a very interesting idea as a way to immediately go to the new platform, but then slowly actually kind of backpedal. Yeah. It it does. It, it's a, it's a shame they didn't do that because honestly, we're in the process of thinking of doing something very similar right now. Yeah, it's it's a very it's a very fascinating idea. Well, so I think it it depends heavily on how you handle routing to begin with, right? So like if each service kind of start like the, if the service starts and then it registers routes with some sort of central routing service, then that makes sense, right? Like you're saying, okay, I I exist and I'm going to take priority for everything. Dang it. So it's saying I exist and I'm going to take priority for everything. Then that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Where, and I think that you know, I'm just thinking about this differently because I've got my fingers in our architecture, yeah, yeah, of and I I see you know what make what's the obvious choice for us, right? We have everything goes through. We're on AWS, so everything goes through an ALB, an application load balancer, and so you've just got like okay, if the right, and you've got a bunch of these different things that you can do to to select and filter routes or whatever. But like you say, okay, if the host name is this, then send it over here, or mm-hmm. if the path looks like this be a regex or something, send it over here. You know, if it, if it contains QA dash in the host name, then it goes to this pool of containers, you know, whatever, or can route to a Lambda, whatever. And so for me, when I think about the Strangler pattern, what I think is like, okay, we just like pick 
some some sort of indicator that will only ever exist in the new platform, right? So just like if if the URL contains slash v2 slash, right? If that is in there, then it's going to get routed to the new application. And if it doesn't, then it gets routed to the old application or goes through all the old rules. And then what you do is like a series of feature flags. Like I want to rewrite this module. You know, I create a feature flag that's like, okay, we're going to use the old. If, it, if the flag is off, then we use the old module and all the routes and everything stay the same. And then when the flag gets turned on, you know, like forms start submitting to slash V2, whatever. Mm-hmm. The links in navigation start taking you to V2, whatever. And you just sort of like slowly migrate over there. And then depending on how you choose to visually design the application, it's possible that you could fully do the replatforming. And if nobody ever looked at the URL bar, they would never know what was going on. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And and all of that is basically being done with a combination of routing rules for us in the ALB and and feature flags. And yeah. to me, that seems like a really obvious implementation. But like I, I asked you guys, like, is there something between Strangler Pattern and, uh, you know, I'm trying to come up with like shotgun, <laughs> shotgun uh, upgrade, right? Like all at once. Full greenfield rewrite. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I would say that this, I wouldn't say that Strangler Pattern is at one end, I think not doing anything is at one end. So your, your ends <laughs> yeah, are not doing anything sure. and Big okay. Bang Rewrite. And I think the Strangler yeah. pattern is that what's in the middle. So, that so you're you guys not, agree that that's kind of like the the gold standard of the, the way to replatform? I think, I think it's the middle path, like he's saying. I, like I've, I've read so much about the Strangler pattern at this point that I can't think of any other way to do it, really. Like Aside from the, the path that is most likely to blow up in your face. The, mm-hmm. uh, I'll say, so I, I think knowing a lot of our active people on discord a lot of the things they probably face at work or new projects they're coming on to if they're consulting is they're running into you have an early web development kind of page where you have a pattern of you do a bunch of queries at the top and then you do some visual mm. output at the bottom right and some loops in the middle and, and so we had a lot of those early like many 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 years ago and what I found the best way to handle those was is to take those those pages that are doing kind of the, the crud and the data and just talk to an API and just make the, the front-end data output just stupid. And a lot of times early on in, in the early web, we, we made that the page that displayed stuff was super intertwined with the HTML mm, and the JavaScript yeah. and, and the, the display was was very complex. Whereas if you just have an API, so first thing, convert everything to an API, make everything API driven, API first, so that really the, honestly, the, how you display the data at the end doesn't really matter. It's pretty stupid. It's just, it's templating at that point. Yeah. Like that's another thing, you know, we, we kind of struggle occasionally with our API, like our API is great. We're getting a ton of usage uh, from our customers pulling data out of us and also have a bunch of like our customers push data to us. We've got webhooks coming in from different services that we're using like Zoom and Twilio and Mailgun and all these things are pushing data into us. It's great, except that it's never complete and and customers are always like, well, how do I get this data? Mm-hmm. Or can I, can I get it in this organization, right? And so I, like as much as I don't think GraphQL is like a silver bullet to, to solve all problems, one thing that I think would be great for, uh, that I think GraphQL would be great for is, you know, you just define your schema and you say, yes, it's hard to, to learn and figure out, but this is all the data. You can have access to whatever you want. Here you go, you know, mm-hmm. dig in. And, and I don't have to create, you know, I have one endpoint. You, you have access to everything, go. <laughs> so I, I don't have to, create a whole bunch of different random stuff and the, and it's going to be consistent, right? You're always going to get the same data types back where like, that's a, a thing that frustrates me about our current API is that like, it's, it's very hand rolled, right? You're, you're selecting a query or you're running a query to get data from the database. And then you build a, an array of objects to return in the, in the response, but you might call it, you might use camel case in one and snake case in a different one if they're written by two different people or whatever, right? Mm, right, right? Versus like, that's one of those benefits of GraphQL is like, it's it's all built on the same schema, it's all the same data types and it's going to get, it's going to be consistent what you get back, no matter what. Something I wanted to say, I, this doesn't address what you just said directly, but but I, I did want to say that 
it, it's tough because you want to move on for almost more socio-political reasons and not necessarily, you know, crushing technical problems. But well, with but let me just just to finish that. Yeah, thought. go ahead. But within within that constraint, I would say if you're going to do the strangler pattern, I would definitely start with the things that you feel are most challenging in a cold fusion context. You know, like when you when you start a new project and a rewrite is in in, in some ways a new project, it's like you want to kind of do the fun stuff first. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and I, you know, if there's something where every time you have to do it, you're like, oh, Cold Fusion makes this just harder. Like, right. do that first. Rewrite yeah. that because one, it's going to be a value add every time you go to use it and it's not Cold Fusion. Yep. Or, or and or, it'll help you better understand the mileage you might get out of the rewrite itself. You know, if you just, just to play devil's advocate and I'm, and I'm not trying to sell you out of the idea, but you know, if you have a situation and you're like, Oh, cold fusion makes this much harder. And then you rewrite it in whatever technology. And you're like, yeah, this is better, but like, right. Yeah. Like it still kind of sucks. And I'm not saying from a, because you're a bad programmer. I'm just saying like, cause it's, <laughs> there is, there is, what do they call it? Like not, not is, is incidental. Like there's necessary complexity and like it turned out it really wasn't the technology. It was just this problem was really hard. You know, you might get a chance to step back and evaluate. Do we want to do everything? Do we want to do just some things? Are there places where this would be more valuable than other places? And how do we focus on those? Anyway, that's that's a lot. Valuable insight. Another thing that I think is, has gone so far kind of unsaid is that hiring skilled CFML developers is very difficult right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I believe it. You know, they're just few and far between because they've all moved on to other things. Anyway, well, I, and it's not just that. So it's like we are doing a rewrite, not a rewrite. We're doing a strangler. We're doing a conversion strangler pattern kind of thing, adding more backend processors to our fold, but doing it in ASP.NET because it's so much easier to find ASP.NET developers, and I have. <laughs> All the developers I have right now are ASP.NET. I've never actually had any really, really true Scala developers. Mm-hmm. It's like been myself, who is terrible. I'm, I'm not <laughs> a good Scala developer. And, and someone else, you know, who's kind of figured out along the way. So, yeah, I mean, we're doing the same thing. It's like we are adding a new product to it. And then in the meantime, we're also taking kind of like what Ben, you said, where we're building a proxy to the existing Scala API and just have a proxy there. And then we will slowly just rewrite those endpoints of that API to be a different language. And hopefully no one will ever know. Hopefully. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed. I, I mean, I guess I could more directly respond to your comment earlier, Tim, about like, when you're doing the rewrite, start with the API and then, you know, build your application based on the API. Like, you know, if it if you find that you can't build something because it's not in the API, then that exposes something that's missing from your API. So then you need to go add it for, for completeness sake. The only, the biggest drawback with that is a lot of times your API is kind of higgledy-piggledy. Mm-hmm. It's like you have a whole <laughs> bunch of endpoints. You're like, I don't know what case I'm supposed to use this one for. And it seems like it kind of does something very, so, I mean, that has to be very deliberate and thought out about, all right, you know, each API call really is only doing a a very generic thing. And if you need to do something a little bit more customized, either you, you know, your, 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 your calling uh, service is, is, you, rolling them together or maybe you build a helper function in the API. I don't know, but a lot of times if you have, you know, if you have 10,000 <laughs> endpoints in your API, it's like, like, which one do I use in what situation? Yeah. What mm-hmm. is, you know, if, if you're building an a- API endpoint that only does one thing and it's extremely like an edge case, it's like, okay, I, I don't know. Right. I don't know why that's there. Should I worry about that? Right. No, I, and that's why I think that as hard as it's going to be to pull people onto that train, like I'm just, I'm sitting here thinking about customers that I have, meaning universities and some of their staff who just seem so willfully ignorant of how to use the internet. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> the thing that, that I'm thinking of is we had a process. We talked about this, like the, the warehouse file importer Right, I, I rewrote this whole thing to make it queued 
and they they push files up onto S3 for us, and then they just all they need to do is make a a web request. It could, I think it could even be a get, but you know, a, a get or a post, something like that, to say, okay, the file is there, and we're ready for you to run the job. That's all that they need to do, <laughs> like a simple curl. Mm-hmm. And the the person that I'm thinking of would like email and say, but like, how do I do that from Oracle? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not an Oracle person. That's your job. (laughs) (laughs) How do do I do that from WordPress? I got that today. Right? Like, I get so frustrated with people who are not willing to put in the effort to do their job well. And Mm -hmm. then they are the first people that come to mind when I think, I would love to make our API just like, here's GraphQL, right? It's got the full schema, all of our data. You have access to what you have access to. Go nuts. And they still won't understand it because yeah. I had a guy today, I, I got on a call. He's like, he's supposedly part of a web development team that is being paid by an insurance company to build their stuff in WordPress. And I was like, okay, let me see. Look, could you hit, he's sharing the screen. Like, could you hit F12 so I could see the developer tools? And I blew his frigging mind. <laughs> Hacker. <laughs> yeah. He's like, what's going on? I'm like, look. You're passing you're passing this parameter in the URL and it's expecting this one. You can see that right there. He's like, How can I see your code? That's not secure. I'm like, dude, do you even know how the internet works? <laughs> Wait a minute, is he a senator? <laughs> yeah. The internet isn't a it's a bunch of tubes, it's not a dump truck. Oh my God. Jesus. Well, come on. So so we talk about the strangler pattern. If I can throw a different pattern at you. Yeah, go, go, the, go. Uh, the what's do often it. referred to as the BFF pattern, the back end for front end pattern. I thought we were going best friends forever. (laughs) It's a dual use pattern. And I hope I don't butcher this, but the idea is that if you have a front end, such as the functionality that needs to be exposed to one of your customers, then you create a back end specific for them and their consumption. So in the way that GraphQL kind of can expose the entire world, you can create a very small, very targeted API that they would consume, but then behind the scenes, that API is really just turning around and doing a bunch of other API calls to aggregate the data in a in a meaningful way. And right. the nice thing about that pattern in this particular case is that the you know the 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 little duck legs that are below the surface of the pond they can be doing all kinds of crazy stuff and changing how they work over time but from the customer's perspective the API that you're exposing to them mm. is remains fairly static right I, so I don't like, know I don't know how that gets the back to the rewrite and, but yeah yeah <laughs> yeah like keep the existing API and just like proxy those requests over to get the data out of GraphQL as appropriate or something yeah exactly and if and if the model for the GraphQL stuff changes you can always massage it back to what the the, the customer is mm-hmm. expecting on their end. Mm-hmm. Or, you oh, know, that, that, you know what? I like that idea. I'm just going to be, I'll, I'll say like, you know, here the V1 API is, is deprecated. It's not going to change. It still works, but no new additions, no, you know, no yeah, new yeah. features. If you want the, the new hotness, you got to learn how to do GraphQL. And the thing that blows my mind about all of this is like GraphQL is, so easy because you can expose graphical the the like query builder mm-hmm. and be like okay and you get like a drop down like these are the fields that I want <laughs> oh this one has this one has child properties I can go get those right and like you just like you drag and drop and, and click around to get the query you want you can see the data populating in then you go okay copy and paste this is the query I want to run go well I mean you know that they just did add that to the latest version of <laughs> CF GraphQL. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> they did add yeah, it. Yeah. GraphQL support. It's a, they added a client so that you can consume GraphQL. I think, I don't think they have a way to like produce GraphQL. Oh, okay. Yet. But that's interesting. Good. That's, that's good. Honestly, that sounds like the most modern and relevant thing that I've heard somebody say they added to ColdFusion in a long damn time. <laughs> Although, I mean, I, I know that, that GraphQL was super, super exciting for people like like two it's years ago. Off, yeah. yeah, it feels like it's kind of gone, what's that, like the Gardner hype cycle or something? Like it's it's kind of... It's, it's pe- in the trough of disillusionment or something. Yeah, 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 I think so. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that it's you don't you don't hear saying people are actually using it, and it's probably not as easy as they thought it was. I think. I mean, isn't that true about just everything? Right? Nothing. I I always come back to the to the to the Rick Rich uh, Rick Rich quote that developers understand the value of everything and the cost of nothing. 
that yeah, it, yeah. It's just it's just so timeless. So yes, it, it is on? the Gartner hype after show. <laughs> no, no, we're just going to keep this main show going all night. It is the Gartner okay. hype cycle, and and so right, like I think Ben, what you're what you're referencing, and and I agree if I'm interpreting your statements correctly, is that like you know the hype goes way up high because people are super excited about this new interesting technology, and then people are like, you know wait a minute, they struggle with it or it doesn't solve all their problems. It turns out not to be a silver bullet. So it like it crashes right, right. and interest is down. I think right now where we're kind of like, we're either according to the, the Gartner hype cycle chart that I pulled up, it's either we're either on the slope of enlightenment, which comes after the trough of disillusionment or the plateau of productivity, right? So mm. it goes back up, but not as high as the original hype peak, mm-hmm. right? right? And so people, like, are people making start to figure out where does now. this fit in? Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think a I think AI is hitting that. That's like, yeah, it, it's great. It's pretty cool and all. We did chat B, GPT, but how can anyone make money off of this right now? It's super expensive to even run one. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, this episode of Working Code was brought to you by Vanilla Ice, who reminds you to stop, collaborate, and listen. <laughs> and listeners like you, if you're enjoying the show and you want to make sure that we can keep putting more of whatever this is out into the universe, then you should consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons cover our recording and editing and transcript costs. And I can now happily announce that transcripts have been published for, at the at the very least, episodes zero through, I think it was 140, Matt That's told me. That's crazy. It's bananas, to use a, a term from my friend Ben Nadell. Heck yeah. Um, and so those are all up. And again, they're just AI generated. They're, they're not expected to be perfect. And if you would like to improve them, each and every one of those pages, there should be a link on there that takes you to edit that page on GitHub. And so you can fix the transcript and submit it as a pull request. And Tim Cunningham himself will review your pull request. And if it's good, <laughs> he will merge it back in. And, and you will have made the, the internet and our little corner of it a better place. Um, anyway, all of those costs are covered by the the money that we get from our patrons. So thank you all. We couldn't do this every week without you guys and gals. Special thanks, of course, to our top patrons, Monty and Giancarlo. Your continued huge support is greatly appreciated. If you'd like to help us out, you can go to patreon.com slash workingcodepod and you can support us for as little as $4 a month. And that really helps us out. We do have a new patron this week, a, a new free trial. As I mentioned several times recently, we added free trial support to our patrons. If you want to come check out what is this after show stuff about, what is the extra Discord access like, come get a free trial. We'll get you hooked up and you can decide whether or not you want to stick around. So we, we do have a new patron this week, Ryan. Welcome aboard. Hope you decide to hey, stick Ryan. around. Not Brian, Ryan. No, this is a different <laughs> Ryan. Actually, this one is yeah. Ryan. Yeah, yeah. This one is Ryan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's going to do it for us this week. We'll catch you next week. And until then, remember, your heart matters, no matter which way you're moving or not. You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code. To strangle you. <laughs> yeah. That's my pattern, baby. <laughs> Instead of that's my kink. <laughs> yeah. Don't pattern shame.